Uh, those of you that are uh, with us live stream, welcome. I'm so glad that you're with us as well. And as Allison said a little bit earlier, whether you're watching today or some other time during the, the week or uh, month or even the year, uh, you might come back a year from now and see this. We are so glad that we can be a part of your life as we learn together to grow in our relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Uh, my name is Bob Martin. I have the privilege of being lead pastor here at St. Paul, and I just want to welcome all of you uh, that are here. Well, today I'm going to tell you something that you probably already know about me. Um, I love the church. Uh, I, I know that uh, you love the church too. And um, there's so many things about the church that I absolutely love. And let me tell you, one of the, one of the greatest things that I love about the church is our staff. Uh, I know you know this, but I can't say enough about how honored I am to work with these men and women who just knock it out of the park every single day for the kingdom's purpose. Folks, you have a great staff. And, and I just love them to death. Um, yeah, amen. Let's, let's give a praise offering for that. And uh, they just, their heart is in their work. Uh, they spend time away from their families uh, to do the kingdom's work. And, and just what a, what a great group of people. Um, I, also, I also love all of you. Uh, and, and through the years, it's been great to get to know you. One of the things I've missed a little bit since uh, we went online virtually only in, in, in March was to see your faces, so it's good to, to see you smizing back at me. You've heard that term, right? The mask and the eyes. I walked up to somebody the other day at a business. She was wearing a mask. She actually grew up in one of my churches, one of our youth, and I didn't recognize her. She's an adult now, and, and, and she introduced herself, and she recognized me. How'd she do that? Well, the guy that looks like George Clooney. You know, he walks in the building, and you know it's me, right? So, so she just knew, Pastor Bob, and, and I said hi to her. Um, but listen, it's so good to see you. Uh, those of you that are live streaming, um, we think of you and uh, we are just grateful to be a part of your life and that you're a part of our life too. So I love all of you and I love being your lead pastor. 10 years, I mean, I went back not long ago, I looked at a picture of the first Sunday that I was here, my hair was brown. Now look at it now, right? I was a little bit thinner, just a little bit. And, um, you know, but, but time has changed, but I have loved every moment and I, I just love the fact that we'll probably have another 30 years together, right? Because by that time, I'll be 55, and, and it'll be time to retire, and it'll be good. But again, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. The truth is, uh, when, I, when I gave my life to Christ as a young boy, um, I came to appreciate the church at that time. <clears throat> I love my pastors through the years. In fact, Meg's, Meg's dad's a pastor. We were just talking a little bit about the conference that he served. Uh, he's retired now. And um, so, so I, I love my pastors, I love the church, but I love the work of the church. And so, so there's so much that comes out of the church that is just beautiful. Um, in case you haven't caught on, we're, we're in a series we're beginning today called I Love My Church. And we're going to spend three weeks talking about um, what God's design is for the church, what, what God had in mind when God said uh, the church is going to be born, what it means to be called a Christian, but more importantly, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Um, so we're going to be looking at that over the next couple of weeks, and I want to just invite you that, that, that what it really will explain to us is how we are strangers brought together as strangers for a common purpose, and then we become family, we become friends. Uh, so we're going to look at that together. Let me challenge you over the next couple of weeks. I want to challenge you to go to the book of Acts. Where is Acts? For those of you that don't know, if you go through the Gospels, the second half of the Bible, after the Gospel of John, that's the fourth Gospel, is the book of Acts. Acts was written by, um, by Luke, and, and uh, he uh, obviously uh, learned a lot from the great apostle Paul. And, and Luke actually puts together a summary of stories, of narratives about the church. And, and, and 
the plight of the people of God as they become the church. So I'm going to encourage you um, to look at that. So when we're talking about the church, and when I say I love my church, I'm not just talking about St. Paul United Methodist Church here, but I'm talking about the Church Universal, capital C. So we're going to bring a lot of this in, into perspective as we look at this. Um, we're also going to learn that in the Old Testament, um, the term church didn't exist. In fact, the church, the term church, is a New Testament phenomenon. It's a, it's a phenomenon, it's a, it's a word, it is a, an organism that Jesus gives birth to in the, New, in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we find out that, that God's people basically were attached to space and place. Uh, it was a particular place that they were at, or it was a space in which they were traveling. If we take a look at that, they wandered through the wilderness. They, they leave the confines and the slavery of Egypt. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. So they're in a space of wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness, they're actually having to lean very heavily into learning their trust in God. So it's this, it's this place. It's called the wilderness. It's space. And God said, I am sending you to a place called the promised land. And that was their hope and that was their goal. And they wandered for 40 years until they actually got there. So they're, they're moving through this space called the wilderness. They get to the place called the promised land, and there is where it becomes a spiritual place. They're no longer wandering, but it becomes a spiritual place. And it's there that we see them beginning to erect things that represent God in places where, where they believe that, that God exists. So we saw that happen in the tabernacle. We saw it happen in altars. We saw it happen ultimately in the temple. So in the Hebrews, in their growing up and in their growing in, in, in what we saw, their evolution of their faith, we see that they were tied to space and place. I said earlier, Jesus kind of changes that. When, when God comes into the flesh as is, is Jesus, it's no longer about geography. It's no longer about space. But Jesus begins to share with us that the church is something new. He begins to change the framework of how we see and how we as Christians identify church. The Old Testament is built upon a people of their nationality. They were Hebrews. They were Jews. And Jesus comes into the picture in the New Testament, and he says it's not about nationality anymore. It's not about that. It's not about, you know, whether you are a male or female or whether you are this national, uh, nationality or, or this ethnicity, color, whatever. He begins to say that things are different, and he builds it upon this particular point. He builds it upon the people who become followers to build it upon these words that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that he went to the cross, he died for our sins, he was resurrected, and he is with God the Father, wherever we might think heaven is, that that's where he is. He's at the right hand, right there, that God is together again. God is one, and God is that particular peace. And it's a newly inaugurated system. Jesus would begin to, to use words to define the church. And one of the great descriptions that I love that he says, he calls the church the bride of Christ. And we see a couple of parables that he tells in the New Testament. And he talks about how, how you know, like a bridegroom and how brides, we must be prepared for the day that, that when, when the, the bridegroom or the bride is coming. And so, so it's, it's a note for us to, to be at a time of preparedness, that, that he will come again one day. We don't know when, but it's a preparedness that we have, that we await, and that the church is the bride of Christ. But he also pointed out that the church is no longer bound by space but it is attached to a confession. The Greek word that describes the church is ekklesia. Say that word, ekklesia. 
Okay, so those of you at home, ekklesia. So, so that, that's the key word. It's, it's a Greek word. And what it means is it means to come out of and into something else. So, so think of it this way. The church comes out of and into the world. So it comes out of ourselves and into the world. Ekklesia is the word that we get. It says that, that you and I are the called out ones, that we are not to be idle. We are not to be um, you know, just standing around waiting for the work of the world to be done and, and for the kingdom of God's reign to, to, to happen uh, on its own, but that we are to be called out as one to be a part of that. So there's some interesting things about this word ecclesia. Jesus said that the church is, is local in nature and it's universal in nature. So he said there's a local church and then there's a universal church. So, so most of us, we can kind of grasp what the local church is, right? So we drive down the road and we see like Mission City, that's a local church. We see like uh, Grace uh, Calvary Baptist. We see like Grace, Grace City. We see all these different churches. St. Paul, we're, we're all local churches. And the purpose of the local church is for those groups of people to be called into their local community. And believe it or not, we're to work together because we're all called in. We're ecclesia. We're called into doing that together. He also said that the church is universal. And universal is, is the bigger portion of that. What does that mean? That's, that's the big church, capital C. So whenever we, whenever we say a creed, like the Apostles' Creed, some people get tripped up and say, why are we saying we're one, um, um, one holy Catholic church? I'm not a Catholic. No, he, he's talking about the universal church uh, when, when they wrote the creed. So, so we are part of a universal church as well. So local churches are corporate at their roots. It doesn't mean it's a corporate structure like a, like a business per se. But what I mean by that is, is, is it's not intended to be a lone ranger, that, that there's no evidence in, in the scriptures that you and I are supposed to do faith alone. We just came out of our series, um, you know, Hope in the Wilderness and, and Coming Out of the Wilderness. And what we learned in that was community is very important. And so community is a huge part of that. The, the New Testament church was, was never deemed a place, but it was the people. And, and we see the importance of how that is. So we have to kind of get it in our mind this morning as we're looking about, you know, ecclesia and what the church is. And we've got to kind of erase it out of our mind that the church is a building. It's not a building. It's, it's much more than that. And we look at the New Testament and we, and we read about it and we find out that they did not have affinity to a structure. They did not have affinity to brick and mortar. They knew that the church was much greater than that. And they moved into their community. So the Old Testament was a temple, the temple where people came to that, that place, that Holy of Holies to meet where God was. The New Testament church, they're being sent out and they're being the church in their community. So I believe when, when Jesus created the church, he empowered us to be witnesses, that we are called to be the people of the church, we are called to be the people of God, and we are to go into our communities and wherever we might find ourselves, and we are called to, to share the good news. And that is that God loves you, and that God calls you into his purpose, and God invites you to be a part of his kingdom's work, which is to make the world a better place. And we are called to be reconciled to God. We are called into a time of confession and forgiveness because of our sinfulness. And more importantly, because Christ died on the cross for our sins. And we have given new hope and new life that comes. So being part of the church leads you and me to be transformed. 
We can't remain the same. So, so it's funny. So, you know, sometimes, well, how was church today? Eh, it was okay. That, that's not what it's supposed to be because we're thinking about the building or the songs that we did. And, and, and it's, it's about what, ha, what is God doing in your life right now? How is God transforming you? And how is God calling you to be a leader in it? The Apostle Paul, I mean, he knocks it out of the park. He says this, he says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents someone else. We are representatives of God. We are God's ambassadors. And through us, the work of God is done because we are the church. Now, if you think about that, that what Paul is saying here, that we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal and approach through us, man, that's a heavy responsibility. Have you ever felt that, that you've been overwhelmed by the heaviness of, of what it means to be a believer in Christ? And some of us become so overwhelmed by, by the weightiness of what that is. And, and, it's, and as Jesus returned, from he, returned to heaven, he said something that was very important. He reminded us that, that part of his mission, in addition to going to the cross, was he was to give us the ministry. And, and, and we find out in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, at the end of that, Jesus is ascending to heaven. And what he says is, he says, I'm giving you all authority under heaven and over all the earth, and that you are to go out and make disciples. You are to tell people about the love of God. You are to lead them into God's presence. You are to be the hands, the heart, the feet of God in the world so that this world is changed. And, and, and he said, go and do that until the end of the time. Now, let me say by a show of hands, who's seen Jesus return yet? Anybody seen Jesus come back yet? Well, he hasn't, I, I don't know that he's returned. I haven't seen him return. I'm, most of us aren't aware that the second coming has happened. So what does that mean? It means that our role is not done yet. It means that we are called to continue into that, that as he's handed that role over to us, we are to lead. You want else about the church? It's a, it's a place full of people that are flawed. The church is full of people. The church is people who are flawed. It's people who uh, don't get it right. It's people who miss the mark. It's people who sin. It's people who fight. It's people who say things about others that they, that they shouldn't or thoughts that they have. You know, the, we, the church, are filled with all kind of, of all of those things, aren't we? I mean, not one person in this room is exempt from what I just said. I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror and the first thing that I notice is, man, there's a sinner looking at me. And I'm sure you do too. And, and we recognize that that's who we are. And God knows our flaws. God knows that we have issues. God knows that we are overwhelmed by, by the, the trappings of the world. And you know what God says? God looks us directly in the eye and he says, but I still call you by name. I still invite you to be a part of me. I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to understand my love. I love you. And you are a part of my, of my church, of the people called out into something else. And despite all of those things that we are, it nails it on the head with our, one of our vision points, one of our values, that we are better together and that, that, that you belong here, that you are part of the church. Let me give you a big takeaway today. Um, this, is, this is one, it was interesting after nine o'clock, I had some people come up to me afterwards and, and, and they were like, you know, I had never thought about it this way. So let me, let me just share it with you. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. The church is not a building. It's not a building. Say that, the church is not a building. 
It, it's not a building. It's, it's not a building at all. The church, the church is not a brand. It's not United Methodism. It's not a denomination. The church is none of those things. And, and we, sometimes we get caught up and we say that the church has to be, you know, this, look this way. It has to have a roof. It has to have a steeple or it has to look like this or that or these symbols. Listen, we, we were reminded during COVID-19 that sometimes buildings don't matter, Right? I remember in March when, when we were like early in the week and we had to make a decision when, when things were starting to really get harried with, with this pandemic. And we gathered the leadership together and we said, we're closing the building. But you know what I didn't say? We're closing the church. We closed the building and we went totally online and we continued to be Christ out in our community. We continued to feed people through our open arms ministry. We, we continued to give school supplies to kids that were part of our partnerships. We supported teachers. We fed the homeless. We continued to, to make calls to people to check on them. Some of our folks even gathered and delivered groceries to households of people that were in need. We continued to be the church. It didn't require a building. We were the church. And we were living into exactly what we learned from what Jesus said. And here's the point. If our buildings disappeared overnight, we'd still be a church. You agree with me on that? Of course we would be. So we find out the important thing, the building is not a church. The building and land are not sacred ground. This, this space here, there's nothing sacred about this, but the one who dwells with us while we're here is sacred. He is holy. And because he is holy, we become holy. You see the significance of what Jesus taught when he unrolled and unraveled what the church is to be. I drove by a church the other day. I don't, I don't remember the building. I don't remember what it looked like. But what I remembered was what was on the sign. And the sign said, the people of the church are here. The people of the church are here. Now, what that didn't say was is in the building. It just said the people of the church are here. And I think that's a great image of what it says. So here they are, a building on a corner and a sign that says the, the people of the church are here. And that is in line with what Jesus says. He shifts the paradigm. He shifts what church is. He says the kingdom of God is not trapped in four walls of a building. The kingdom of God does not reside in a building with a steeple. The kingdom of God does not reside in any of those things. The kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is in me. Jesus did not say that, that God only exists in a building. Jesus didn't even say that, that Golgotha was a holy place because that's where he was going to go get nailed to a cross and die. He didn't say that's where the kingdom of God was. He said the kingdom of God is in you. And the kingdom of God is now. And so we must, be, we must live into that. And, and all these preconceived notions that we have that the church is a building or we have to be careful we can't do this or we can't do that. Jesus said the church is not a building. It's ecclesia. It's the people called into and out of. In Matthew 16, upon arriving in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus answers a very important question. He's traveling with his disciples. And, I, and this is one of the things I love about the New Testament. Excuse me, I'm sweating. But the, what I love about the New Testament is we see the realness of the disciples. This is why I know that the writings aren't a hoax, because who wants to write that they're an idiot? Who wants to put in writing that they're stupid, they didn't get it? 
we see all of the, the challenges that, that Jesus kept saying time and time again. This is my mission. This is my purpose. This is what God wants. This is where I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to leave you. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. And the words are accurate. It tells us they didn't get it. But in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus is there with a group of disciples, likely Peter, James, and John. And he asks a very important question. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They're pointing out that Jesus is one of the dead prophets. John the Baptist was dead. Elijah was no longer here. Jeremiah was dead. And, and I love how, how they always thought that, that God was going to come back as an old prophet resurrected. So Jesus goes on and he says, but, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter is, is, is portrayed kind of like the mouthpiece of the apostles. No one else wants to say it, so he says it. He doesn't always say it right, but he got this right. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are you, Simon. Notice he doesn't call him Peter. Not Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. There it is. Your name is changed. And in, in, in biblical theology, when someone's name was changed, it meant that they were being repurposed for something that God is doing. Jacob becomes Israel. You know, we see, we see name changes all the time that happen in that. So now Peter... And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now think about that. Upon, so people immediately say, so the church is built upon Peter. No, not built on a human being. Listen to what Jesus says. Simon replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's at that moment that Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, rock, Petros, Rock, there you are, there it is. You are the rock, uh, the person of God. See, see the word when, when Peter says you are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God, he's saying you are the Messiah, the Misha, the savior of the world. He recognized Jesus for who he was. Upon that, I'm going to build my church. Jesus is using builder language. If you're a builder, if you've ever built something, what do you need to make sure of before you start erecting walls? What has to be there? A foundation, I heard it, a foundation. So Jesus is using builder language, and he says, Peter, on this foundation of what you said, that I am the Christ, I am the son of the living God, upon those words, Peter, I am building my church. It's upon the confession of Peter that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's why the church will never be destroyed. If the church were built on a person, Peter, Peter died a violent death. Then the church would have been gone. Uh, churches burn. Churches get destroyed in hurricanes. The church never dies. Why? Because it's built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, that he is Christ, the son of the living God. You see, in the New Testament, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You don't see any words that say, and they went out and they started building churches. You don't see that. What you, what you see is, is that they went into existing homes, they went into existing marketplaces, they went to where businesses were, and they gathered. They went in upper rooms. They, they gathered in places that were already established. But they're not out building buildings. 
and they gathered in those places. Paul reminds us how important this is. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Listen to this. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Is, God, is he saying God's building church? He says God is building his temple in you. We, we are the church, ecclesia. And this is so important to understand. It means, it means that anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord is the church. It means that they, they may not come into this building. They may not uh, ascribe to our brand. They may not ascribe to our denomination. If they confess Jesus Christ as Lord and they believe that, they are church. And that is part of church universal. You see, the, the New Testament church was not known as the first church of Jerusalem. I drove by somewhere up on vacation one time, and, and it was the third church of something. Who wants to be the third church? Where'd they come up with that? This was not called the first church of Jerusalem. The earliest of believers were called the followers of the what? Of the way. Jesus is the way. We go into John's gospel, and we see the I am statements. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Who is I am? I am as God. What are, I am who I am. Remember the Moses story. And we see the significance of this. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the New Testament Christians built upon that. They built upon what I call devotions. And this takes us where I want to wrap up today. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Listen for what the church is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching daily and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they're devote, when you're devoted to something, it's of greatest importance. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Think about that. They had everything in common. Why? Because they weren't putting agendas of other things before their agenda of God. That's why they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. How many of you would be willing to sell your car today and take that cash and give it to somebody who's homeless on the streets? How many of us would be, would be willing to, to open up our home to somebody who was homeless just because we had the extra room? How many of us would be willing to sell whatever we had and just give it all away? This is the kind of devotion they had. And they distributed it because they wanted everybody to be able to survive. They wanted everybody to be able to remain alive in Jesus Christ. Every day they continued to meet together in a church building? No, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Why was the New Testament church turning the world upside down? Because of those devotions. They knew who they were. Why do I love the church? Because of that right there. Listen, St. Paul, churches, capital C, we have an opportunity. And that is to be ecclesia, to be sent out into, to be the church. Not a building, to be the church to all.